Welcome back, everyone, to the Tougher Training and Sue podcast. I'm Ross Thorburn, and this week, my guest, Matt Courtois, and I are talking about encouraging creativity with young and low-level students, although we'll also mention some older and higher-level students in the podcast as well. In the episode, you'll hear Matt and I talking about why creativity is important, what are some things that teachers might do to accidentally discourage creativity among students, I also hear us talk about some of our favorite creative activities. Enjoy the episode. Matt welcome back. Always a pleasure, Ross. So, let's get straight into it. Creativity. Uh, I feel this is something that's like really common. Lots of schools encourage their teachers to do creative things or get their students to be creative, I should say. Let's start off by talking about why. Well, I think when I first started encouraging teachers to add creativity into their lessons, all of their initial thoughts were they would do things that were more creative, right? So they would come up with a new game. Yeah. I'm going to write my own song for the class. Exactly. And I think that was my fault because I didn't explain that you want the students to be creative, not necessarily what the teachers are doing. Like, you want the students to produce creative language and everything, rather than just reciting from a book. And obviously you could have really creative materials from the teacher, but the end product could still just be the students memorizing a dialogue, right? Yeah, I shouldn't say that uh, creating these new games and these new songs and these hand-drawn pictures are bad things. Those are good things for other aspects of the lesson. And I think in some ways they might help students to produce more creative language. But I don't think those things in and of themselves can encourage that kind of creativity as much as other things. <laughs> so let's get on to what those other things are in a second. But first, why do we want students to be creative? Well, I, th- I think a lot of sentences that, that we construct when communicating to each other in the history of mankind, it might be the first time that sentence has ever been put together in that order. And it doesn't necessarily happen in a lot of English classrooms where people are mimicking what they read in a book. And so I think it's hugely important to push them to be creative and come up with those original sentences using the input that they get from their books. Right, because a lot of the time in real, quote-unquote, real situations, you are going to have to say things that you've not been taught before, right? Well, no communication is just reciting something from a book. So I guess for me that's one thing is this language aspect, that you do have to be creative with language use in the real world. I would also say there's maybe one or two other things, which is one thing is maybe a sort of a more broad idea that as a language teacher, you're not just teaching students things about language. I mean, I would say that that's still the main part of your job is to help your students speak, but why not also help to encourage them to be creative at the same time? That kind of goes hand in hand with like the 21st century skills, right? Kids now, when they grow up, computers will be able to do a lot of the things. Like, So if they're purely focused on knowledge, they don't have stuff to offer over computers. And so I think it's it's really important that in their English classes that they are focusing things like on communication and creativity and what collaboration all these other skills but like creativity is an essential skill that 
computers maybe aren't going to be able to replace anytime soon. And I would say that the other important one is just that it's got to be more engaging for students. If they go to class and have made something new or done something novel, then I think that makes the classes more memorable. And of course, I mean, if you if you can remember what happened in class, presumably you remember more of that language. And that that's kind of why you're going in the first place, right? Mm. I think back when I, to when I was a student in primary school, and I still remember some lessons, and it, they were the most demanding on me. So I remember um, in one geography class, we brainstormed the like biggest geographic features in the U.S. And then basically uh, at the end of us brainstorming, the teacher said, okay, choose one of them and you're writing a re- or you're going to do a five minute presentation on it, but you have a month to prepare this. And this, this is before the internet. And so I ended up with Death Valley, which is the lowest point in the continental U.S. And I remember um, mailing the office within the park and then saying, like, I'm doing a report on Death Valley and you know, is there any, and they, they sent me brochures, they sent me cool. other memorabilia and stuff. And it was a lot of work for, what, an eight or nine-year-old to do, and it was very demanding. But, um, man, I still remember it to this day, and I'm, I could probably tell you more about Death Valley today than any other person from the U.S., you know? So, yeah, like, like when you do these kinds of creative lessons, they, they are a lot more memorable than... 99% of my other lessons that I don't remember. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a great example. And, and what's interesting about that as well, is like, well, the teacher really didn't do very much. No. It, yeah, it was really all about getting the students to be the ones doing the heavy lifting. So you mentioned earlier this idea of creativity not being memorizing dialogues, mm. right? So I wanted to sort of dip into this for a minute. Like, what do you think are some of the things maybe that teachers do that maybe intends to inhibit creativity? I find whenever, in, in a lot of lessons, you know, that you have your input at the beginning, which is a lot of times an audio dialogue between two or three people. And then at the end of class, you have their output. But a lot of times they're mimicking that initial conversation that they listen to in class. And I've seen it done effectively and I've seen it done less effectively. And I think when it's less effective is whenever the teacher creates a lot of, what do you call it, guardrails? They, they, they put, create a lot of guardrails around the conversation where students aren't able to stray very far from what was already said in the book. The closer they are to mimicking that dialogue they listen to at the beginning of the class, the more successful the teacher thinks they are. I don't think that's... Well, no, that's not creative. <laughs> Definitely not. But, but I, do think, I, I do think you can have that conversation at the beginning as a model, and then at the end they're kind of replicating that conversation within their own context and coming up with unique language to insert in there that actually applies to their lives. Or to their own thoughts and and Mm. unique ideas you know absolutely yeah one thing that i often see which also seems to be the opposite of creativity is students memorizing things like i like the winter because i can play in the snow and i've seen students in like tropical environments saying this (laughs) and you just think well you don't like the winter for that reason because you've probably never seen the snow Mm. I feel there's also like a level before you get to creativity, which is like personalization and and getting students to realize how this topic applies to their 
own lives and the, the city that they're in and all those kind of things. And then maybe creativity is something kind of on top of that or, or kind of beyond that. I think you can look at personalization and creativity. I think they are kind of linked in some ways, right? And you can kind of look at personalization as the input, right? So rather than talk about the abstract concept of restaurant, you can talk about a local restaurant that's next to your school or something. Or instead of talking about the abstract concept of winter, you talk about January in your hometown. And then maybe January in a, a more... Tr- colder climate. Yeah, in a, in a colder climate. <laughs> but but I, think, I think the personalization comes in the form of input mm. and the creativity comes in the form of output. You measure the student's creativity when they're producing language. So I think this is interesting to talk about, right? Because I can imagine we have sort of creativity in these different ways, right? So one way is like being creative in terms of language. And then the other way is maybe using not particularly creative language, but you're using maybe one of the mill language to talk about creative ideas. So I think the restaurant example is a really good one, right? Like you could read something in a course book about a restaurant and then maybe you ask the students about what restaurants they go to, what restaurants they like. And then maybe after that, you do something like you design a restaurant for animals in the zoo or something like that. We're going to put three restaurants in the zoo for different kinds of animals. Let's say animals that eat meat, animals that eat vegetables and animals that eat both, something like that. Right. Mm. And then that's a way of taking the idea of restaurants and you've personalized it. But then you've gone a step beyond that and students are doing something that's genuinely novel. Yeah. I think, and I think for very young learners that a uh, very unrealistic production task like that, where they're coming up with a menu for, for zoo animals is, is ideal because that that's the way a lot of little kids think and that will engage them. Whereas once you get older, they can still be creative. It might look different. You don't necessarily have to do it for zoo animals you can design <laughs> design a design a menu for for a restaurant in your neighborhood but it's it's equally creative for a high school student to be doing that rather than doing some uh, menu for zoo animals that's such a good point right so i think yeah that the creativity it's okay for it to be silly with younger kids because that's kind of what they do when they're playing anyway right whereas i think with older kids the creativity needs to be more constrained I remember teaching adults in the school I worked at supplied a lesson for me. And I thought it seemed kind of cool where it was basically like you're going to Mars and you have to set up a constitution for the... Like I'm American, so I'm saying constitution, whatever. You have to create laws and everything. And and I was like, this could be cool. This is very different than classes I've done designed myself. I was like, I'm going to give this a try. And then like... It flopped. They didn't like it. The, I was teaching adults, and they were just like, "Why are we on Mars?" <laughs> and, and like, I don't want to go to Mars, and like this stuff. And so I think you you have to find like a context that's personalized for that group of people you're teaching. You were talking about younger kids, right? And I feel that one of the things that you can do with younger kids just to encourage them to be creative is ask questions where there's more than one right answer. I feel a lot of teaching, especially younger kids with basic vocabulary, it's just what's this? Can this fly? Can this jump? What's he wearing? And I think the way to start encouraging creativity is just by asking like what can you see? Or what do you like? Or yeah, if it's a picture you can even see, oh imagine you're here, what can you smell? What can you feel? 
it's almost the alternative is almost eliciting, isn't it? Like like they're they're just eliciting a, a specific answer that they know the answer. The teacher knows the answer, so it's not really a question. It's it's elicitation, which has its place in the English classroom. But like I think like when you're talking about creativity, eliciting doesn't really have anything to do with, with with creativity like you do need to be asking more open questions that students need to think about and come up with their own original response to so i think with this is there's some simple things i think that you can do to encourage creativity even with sort of really really young students at least with in terms of the sort of creative ideas for example you've taught shapes which is generally something that's taught at a pretty low level mm. and you just say we're gonna move these shapes together combine these shapes to make an animal. Mm. So the students get to choose what animal they make with the shapes. And then when the students want a shape from the teacher or the student who's in charge of the shapes, they just have to say, can I have a square, please? Can I have a triangle, please? So there's no creativity actually in the language, but Mm. at least there's some sort of creativity in what they're doing. I think a lot of creativity is like this. It's taking two concepts and putting them together. So it's like we've taken the shapes and we're taking animals and it's like, how can we make those two things into one to sort of push students to be creative? You were saying earlier about engagement. That's certainly more engaging than than sitting in a row and, and repeating after the teacher. Circle, 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 <laughs> square, square, square. Because there's a genuine motivation. I want a triangle so I can make the head of this crocodile or whatever. I've, I've seen one teacher who, who put students in pairs basically had them say what their favorite animal was. Let me just think of an example. One said his favorite animal was a tiger. The other one said it was a hippo. And then they say, well, what do you like about a hippos? What's the coolest part about hippos? And they're like, oh, I like their teeth and their their little curly tail or whatever, right? And then, well, what do you like about tigers? And I like their stripes and I like this and this and this. And then it's like, okay, so you guys need to take the coolest things about a, a tiger and the coolest things about a hippo and make a new animal together. And, and and I mean, it's a creative process, one that doesn't necessarily create that much language. It does create some, though. Like or... Absolutely, because I guess you could describe what the animal can do. You could say it's got, let's say, the stripes of the tiger, but it, it, it has weighs... the teeth from the hippo and the yeah, right. shape of a hippo. And... and you could give it a name, of course, that might be some kind of combination of the two names. And that's so much more memorable than just saying, draw your favorite animal and write what it can do. Mm. One more time, everyone. That was Matt Courtois. If you enjoyed the conversation, you might also enjoy my book, Inside Online Language Teaching, Conversations About the Future Which Became the Present. It's now available on Amazon. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.